Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. For this is the condemnation that the light is come into the world, and that men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. And you may be seated. I would like to offer this morning that the whole text that we read, just a phenomenal text. But John 3.16, really this is the message this morning, John 3.16 can be understood by the smallest child and by the most unlearned person there is. It can be understood. But I'd like to also offer that the greatest theologian on the earth, the person who knows more Bible and is closer to God than anybody, cannot fathom the depths of John 3.16. Is that true? Isn't that amazing that God made his word that way? That the the, the simple ones, the children could understand it completely, but the greatest theologians could not grasp the magnitude of it. And and, and that is a, a tremendous thought. So we have been talking a lot lately, it seems like over and over and over, we've been talking a lot about the milk and the meat. Uh, we've been talking about, uh, you know, I... I in, in my mind, I probably don't do a very good job of tying it all together, but in my mind, the messages that we've been hearing, have, they go together. They're not just random messages that, that don't have anything to do with anything. We talked about uh, what is church and preached for four or five weeks about what is church, and we said that you know our goal is, is to get new converts over to maturity. Right? That, that's what we're trying to do in a church. We, we talked about crossing Jordan's River last week and how, how that we come to a place where we cross over into the promised land. We've been preaching a lot of messages lately about levels. Over and over and over we preached about levels. Maturity seems to be the theme that we are learning. And I think there's a reason for that because God is doing a work in our church. And he wants to get everybody over to maturity. And the thing that has excited me between Sunday school and Wednesday night and Sunday mornings and all that we've been learning, uh, what has excited me so much as a pastor is I think we're starting to see a vision of you can get saved as a new convert and you can quickly get over into maturity and into the promised land. I think we've had this concept of Christianity where if you get a new convert, you got to give them 40, 50 years, and then maybe they'll finally mature. You know, that's not really what the Bible teaches. We can, we can quickly make this journey and become what we're supposed to be. <clears throat> so all that being said, we're going to talk about the, the title of the message is The Heart of the Bible. The way we read the Bible affects how we live. Amen. The way we read the Bible, it affects how we live. And we're going to learn that this morning. But I need to ask you guys a couple favors before I get into the message. Okay? We're we're going to talk about four. If you have the notes, you probably already see it there. We're going to talk about four different levels that we read the Bible at. But I I want to ask this favor of you guys. Everybody here. If we want to be a good church that Jesus Christ is happy with... We will not be a church that says, well, I'm on the third level and you're on the second level. So obviously you just aren't as good as I am. 
Okay? That's not what we're supposed to do. Okay? We're not judging levels here. We're, I, I assume that everybody will fit into one of these four categories, everybody here. But this isn't a time to say, well, I'm on a higher level than you, so obviously I'm better than you. Okay? And, and can I just say that's, that's sinful? That, that, that's sinful? So that's favor number one. Would you please not do that? And favor number two, <clears throat> if you are on level two and you don't understand level three, Will you go home and pray and read and not just criticize something you don't understand? Okay? If you do those two things for me, I think it will really help this message out. So I want to talk about four different ways we read the Bible. I have been at all four of these. I have preached most of these four to you uh, from those ways of looking at the Bible in the past. And this morning I'm just so very excited about about what, what we, where we can get to. And this goes right along with the message last week about crossing uh, Jordan. So let's look at how we read the Bible. And the first thing I would like to offer is there is a childlike faith. A childlike faith. You know, Jesus talked about a childlike faith. An astounding thing, Bible readers will know, but an astounding thing. Who was Jesus talking to? A great theologian, right? Nicodemus. He would have been, you know, they say, that, they say that a lot of these Pharisees would have memorized the first five chapters or five books, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. They would have memorized it completely, right? And they knew the law inside and out. They were, they were PhDs. They were highly, highly. Jesus even told him, he said, you're, you're a spiritual leader and you don't understand this. But you know what Jesus was saying? You're going to set all of that what you know aside and believe like a little child if you want to go to heaven. Right? Isn't that something? And Jesus had a lot to say about childlike faith. And I think it's interesting that Jesus used the terms born again. Because really what he's saying is you've got to lay off who you are and be like a little child starting out beginning with childlike faith. So childlike faith, let's look at it a little bit. Fully believe anything the Bible says. Now I, I've been raised in church all my life. I've been taught since I was a baby that the Word of God is true. We had last week in Sunday school we talked about the sufficiency of the Word of God and, and we kind of had the argument that we believe that it is infallible, it is inerrant, it, it, is, it is the Word of God. Amen? And so most of us, I would hope that everybody here would be, would be in agreement with this, but most of us believe that every word in here comes from God. Amen? There are no mistakes, there's no errors. And so I have never read the Bible because I was, I was raised this way. I have never read the Bible and thought, well, that's just not possible. That's just not possible, all right? And I've heard other people, you know, I've, I've followed a lot of critics and apologetics and all the different things and all the different arguments and, and the problems. But I've just always, since the child, just thought, if the Bible says it, it's true, right? You, you've probably heard this illustration, a lot of preachers have used this illustration, but there are people who say there is no way that a whale swallowed Jonah. He stayed in there three days, spit him out, and he was still alive. There's no way. Well, common sense kind of tells you that doesn't make a lot of sense except for I believe the Bible. But Brother Charles, can I tell you that if the Bible said that Jonah swallowed that whale for three days and spit him back up, I'd believe that too? Because I would believe anything the Bible said. What I'm saying is I didn't go into it saying, well, I don't know if that lines up with what I'm thinking. I just went into it believing everything it says is true. Right? And so that's childlike faith. Uh, that, that, is, that, is, that is what it takes to, to get to heaven. I believe things I don't understand. You know we all have to be there? You ever read something in the Bible and say, I don't understand that? Or that doesn't line up with my thinking? Or that doesn't make sense? But in my mind, I always say, I don't understand it. I don't really agree with it, but God is right. And I am wrong. Right? So you guys with me on that? So this faith, this childlike faith, will save your soul from hell. Amen? And that's really what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, uh, if you want to go to heaven, because his question was, how do I go to heaven? And he said, if you want to go to heaven, you're going to have to come to the place where you believe that I came to save this world. 
And Nicodemus, until you do, you will not go to heaven. Right? Now, the smallest child here, Case and Cal and Peyton and Javi, all, all, of the, all of the little ones that have been saved and the little ones that haven't been saved yet, they can completely read John 3.16. Is there any greater thing that you can say than, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, that'll get you into heaven. That'll save your soul. That'll take away your sins. Uh, that, that, is, that is where we all have to come in. And that's the door we enter in. There, there's no entering in at the higher level. We have to come in at the bottom level that says, childlike faith, Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. Amen? So we read John 3.16 and we say, it simply says he loves me and he wants me to go to heaven. It's simple. It's basic and it is precious and Jesus said we, we will have to have childlike faith to go to heaven. So that is that is where we start with and that is a very precious thing and if you're in that level praise God and, and there, there is a innocency there, there is a sincerity there, there is a tremendous uh, um, blessing of just being on that simple I believe what, what the Bible says. However not taking away from how precious that is, but often when you're at that stage, you don't really understand a whole lot of anything. Aren't you glad, you know, a lot of us have been saved for a long time, a lot of us, but aren't you glad the day you got saved you didn't have no theology? Aren't you glad you didn't have to understand all the plan of salvation? You didn't have to understand justification, sanctification, and glorification, and, and all these other big words. You didn't have to understand, you know, you had to believe Jesus loved you. He doesn't want you to go to hell. That's all you had to know. And when you believed that, he said, I'll let you go to heaven just for that. And so that is childlike faith, and that is what it takes, and that is what this verse says. So we read this with childlike faith, and we read this verse, and we say, just that alone is enough to save my soul. Hallelujah. But we don't really understand all the rest of it. There are some interpretation problems <laughs> because we just simply believe what the Bible says. And I got just a couple of, of four instances here. So if you understand what I'm saying, you don't really understand the Bible. You haven't studied it out. You don't understand all the theology. You haven't understood all the ways of verses go together and taking things in context. Don't understand. So all you know is everything in this book is true. And I will stand to my death for anything this book says. The, the problem with that is it's what God meant and not what you want to make it say. Okay? So innocently, a lot of people, because they believe everything the Bible says, they just simply find anything the Bible says, and they make a doctrine out of it that's not what God meant, but they believe the Bible. Am I making any sense at all this morning? You guys follow me. Now, I've given this illustration before. Apparently, not anybody was taught this except for me, uh, and apparently nobody really knows this except for me, but, but I was always taught as a child that, you know, the I think it's in Deuteronomy, if I remember right. But in the Bible, it says, in the law, it says, let not the price of a dog enter into the house of the Lord. I was always taught it is a sin to buy and sell dogs. Okay? It's a sin. If you buy a dog, you have sinned. And if you have a dog, you can't sell it. You have to give it away because if you sell it, you are sinning because the Bible says, let not the price of a dog enter into the house of God. How many of you know that wasn't talking about a canine? Okay, that was not talking about a canine. It, it was talking about something totally that had nothing to do with that. But do you understand childlike faith just takes the Bible, what it says, and it says, don't let the house of the price of a dog come in the house of the Lord, so we're not going to do that. It's innocency. It, it's simplistically. But do you also understand how that causes a little bit of problems because we start coming up with doctrines that aren't what God wanted? Right? Another one real quick. <clears throat> Some of you have heard about this one. But 11th chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians says, for a woman will not cut her hair. You know what it even says if she snips her hair? She might as well shave her whole head bald, right? That's what the Bible says. Very plain English. She does not cut her hair, and if she cuts her hair, if she snips it, she might as well shave it bald. That's what the Word of God says. 
With childlike faith, you read that not understanding the Bible, not understanding the context, not understanding all of it. And what do you say? It is wrong if a woman ever cuts her hair. When I got ordained as a preacher, uh, I was told Renee could not cut her hair. So if some of you remember, she had hair down to all the way down to here, right? One day while I was preaching, Renee, because this was a sin, Renee clipped her split ends. Now her hair was down to here. But she clipped the split ends. I quickly got a note from the higher powers. You sinned if she clips her hair. She might as well shave it bald. And you cannot be a preacher if you do that. That's the bird that I got. Now that's childlike faith because that's what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible means. But are you guys following how we get so mixed up? So innocency can bring a lot of problems that are not what God meant, it's just what we want to back up. And we can stand very strongly and say, I'm standing on the Word of God. It says not to cut your hair. But is that what God really meant? Okay, are you guys following me? Does this make sense? One more real quick. Women, uh, women wearing men's apparel. We've all heard that one, right? Now, all the verses before that and all the verses after that that have to do with how you plant your fields and everything else, that doesn't, we don't abide by any of those, but we pick this one verse out and we say this is what we're going to go by. And therefore, a woman can never put on anything that a man wears. Now, that's a big, big subject in church and all that, but here's the thing. Is that really what God meant? That's not really what God meant. But in childlike faith, we just take what the Bible says. And, and so I want you to understand that's a place we come in at. But if we stay there, we go, we're going to have some problems interpreting the Bible. Now, this next one, um, I remember I spent a lot of time in, in number two in my Christian life. I preached a lot of my life in, in number two. But as we read John 3.16, and as I begin to grow and read other parts of the Bible and get closer to God and desire the Lord and begin to study and read, I, I begin to understand that God, uh, and I hear it said so much, that God wants a relationship with me. Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. And God wants a relationship with me. And I read John 3.16 now, not in childlike uh, faith, but I read it and I say, wow, God sent his son not only just to take away my sins, but he also says it because he loves me and he wants to be in a relationship with me. And so I know because I've experienced life, if I want a relationship with Renee or if I want a relationship with Josh or with Rachel or with any of you, I know that what I do to have a relationship is I do what you want me to do so as we can have a good close relationship. And so I reason that God wants me to be good to him so as he will love me more and we will have a better relationship. Okay? So number two, growth leads to sacrifice. So now I begin to read John 3.16 through the eyes and all of the rest of the Bible through the eyes of, I want to be as close to God as I possibly can. Is that a bad thing? Yes or no? Are you guys awake? Yes. Is that a bad thing? To have the desire to be as close to God as you possibly can and to have as best relationship as you can with God. That's a good thing. Right? And so we read the Bible, we read John 3.16 through all this, and we say, wow, I've got to do all I can to be close to God. And then I reason, uh, um, I will do anything God wants me to do. I remember that so well as a young preacher. I remember so well that thought, God, I'll do anything. There's nothing you can ask me to do, nothing you want me to give up, nothing you want me to do. I'll do anything if you'll just love me a little bit more. That is a very commendable heart. That is a very um, great place to be. That is a place I think we have to go through. But again, while we're there, uh, we, we can run into some problems. <clears throat> so I then go beyond what the Bible says because I want to please God. Okay? I want to do anything to be closer to God. Now, we haven't yet got to three and four yet, but a little spoiler alert. How many of you know when we get to three and four, we're going to understand that I can't do something to make God love me more, right? 
So I'm in stage two, and I think I will do it. Now, I know better than to earn my salvation. I don't believe I can earn my salvation. I just believe if I do these things, I'll have power with God. I'll have closeness with God. He's going to really like me a lot because I'm doing great things for him. And even though the Bible doesn't say so, I'm going to do them. I'm going to sacrifice to get God and me to be closer. Are you guys with me? When I first started preaching, I was told if you wear shorts um, of any kind, you cannot be close to God. Okay, I won't wear shorts. I was told, uh, many of you know this, but some of you weren't here, but I had a mustache from the time we were married until not too long ago. But we didn't believe in facial hair. And I was told if you have any facial hair, you obviously don't love God. And Renee told me, if you ever shave that mustache off, I will divorce you right away. <laughs> They made it very, very clear. No, I mean, this is not a joke. I was, she was told me this from the day we got married. You ever shave that off and we're done. It's over. And I said, Lord, I love you so much. If she leaves me, I'll shave this off for you. Because I love you, Jesus. And I did. I shaved it off because I love Jesus. Does anybody see the heart of someone that wants to do anything to get close to God? But does anyone also see the, that's not what God's looking for? God, I won't go to this restaurant if it serves alcohol. God, I won't do this, and God, I won't do that. And God, I'll give up all these things. God, I'll do anything if you just like me a little bit more. And God, if I would, could earn your love, I would do anything. I will be poor. I will be a pauper. I will, I will wear a crazy. I will do anything, God. You can't ask anything of me that I will not do. And I remember that stage so, and I earnestly, from the Bible, I wanted to be close to God. And I think that's commendable. But you get to realize, and, and, then, and then we say, well, if I'm doing it, everybody else has to do it. Right? And that, that's a whole other subject, but that is what causes a lot of trouble, right? But here's the thing. Is there a place to go beyond trying to earn God's favor. And I think we've learned at Sand Hill, there is. Okay? There's a place to go for that. I heard this, and I, I debated on whether or not to say this, and I'll probably lose half of you right here on the message. But I heard this statement on the radio, or on iPad or something I was listening to. I don't even know where it come from, whatever. But I heard this statement, I thought this was phenomenal. Today, I, I mean, I haven't made it get up. I thought this was a phenomenal statement. I think it has a little bit to do with what I'm trying to say. There was somebody, I think he was a, a Christian leader, and he was going to these, uh, um, all these political uh, rallies and things. And someone was asking him, interviewing him, and, and he said, "This is the problem." He said, "Christians want to be conservative; they do not want to be righteous." Now, you just think about that for a minute. <laughs> I, I, I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe in free speech. I believe in the right to life. Go to church every Sunday and live holy? I'm not interested in that, but I believe in these other things, right? And that is the way the church is. I've known a lot of people, and I've said this over and over, I've known a lot of people who were dressed seven days a week, wouldn't put a pair of shorts on, save her life, wouldn't cut the split ends off their hair, but meaner than a rattlesnake and didn't care anything about what the Bible said, Right? And you guys have seen it too. So what I'm saying is we make up what we think makes God happy. And sometimes that's not always what makes God happy. <clears throat> and I believed in this stage that we receive power and closeness by sacrificing. And even if it's not in the Bible, I'm going to do it just so God will like me a little bit more. And I think that is commendable. And if you are in that place right now, this is not a time to say you're not as good as us or we look down on you or anything else. This, that is a place to say, uh, uh, praise God that you've come to a place where you love Jesus so much you do anything to be close to him. And I can just say this, this morning as your pastor, if you're, in, if you're at stage two, praise God. I'd like to have a whole church full of people say, I will do anything God wants me to do. Maybe there's another level you can achieve, but when you come to the place where you say, there's nothing you can ask of me, I would not do, praise God. 
Now, there, there's no condemnation here. There's no looking down on someone. That, that is an, a tremendous place to be. But I believe that there is another level that we can go through. And I remember in my mind going through these levels, reading the Bible. So everything you read in the Bible, uh, it's childlike faith. You really don't know the Bible. You're just believing anything God says and, and kind of ignorantly going along in bliss. Uh, level number two you read about, everything you're reading, you're trying to find something you can change in your life so he'll like you a little bit more. And I remember that. I would go through this with a fine-tooth comb, trying to find something. Something I could change in my life that would like God and love me a little bit more. But then we come to level number three. And I remember when I came to this level. Growth that leads to love. Is there anybody here this morning that knows this is a book about love? You know, when we make this a book about wrath, we make this a book about beating people up, when we make this a book about shame and guilt and condemnation, we completely miss the message because this is a book about love. How many of you know that God so loved this world that he gave the most precious thing he had in all of heaven because he loved us so we could be with him? Amen? It's a book about love. And when you start to grasp, so now we go back to John 3.16 and we've read it in childlike faith and we've read it understanding it's a relationship and i got to try and earn God's love and favor. But now we go back to it and we read it again. And what begins to sink into us as we read it, and, and, and the Bible doesn't say this, uh, but this is how Gary reads. I believe when Nicodemus asked uh, Jesus what it took to get to heaven, I believe he said, oh, Nicodemus, because God so, so, so loved the world. Just Nicodemus just... More love than you can ever imagine. And we start to grasp that love, when we start to grasp how much Jesus loves us, how much God the Father loves us, how much this verse tells us that he loved us more than anything in the universe, anything in heaven, the highest possession he had, he was willing to give. He loved us so much, there was nothing he wouldn't do to earn us back to him. When we begin to understand that, we start to read the whole Bible in a whole different way. Now I'm not looking for little things I can uh, uh, do to God, make God love me. Now I'm understanding God loves me. And it, it's just busy. It, it, it isn't about if I'm good enough or not. God just loves me. He just loves me for who I am. The Bible says for he commended his love, uh, for God commended his love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. It isn't because we're good or we deserve it. When we were the rotten sinners, he came and died for us. Right? So Jesus loves us. God loves us. It isn't about earning it or, or deserving it or anything else. We love him because he first loved us. We have a great love for him because he loved he, he, his love for us, right? That's what the Bible says. <clears throat> this is very important. I want you guys to get this. It's a huge, huge, huge transformation. We serve out of love and not out of fear. That is huge. Because see, when you first get saved, you start studying the Bible, especially if you're raised a certain way, and, you, and you're, maybe you go to a church where it's all about guilt and condemnation and everything else, you read the Bible for, what can I do so God will love me? But when one day your eyes are open and you say, He loves me, not because of anything I did, because He loves me. God is loving. He cannot do anything but love you. When you begin to understand that, now you switch from, I have to do this so he won't hate me, to, oh, I want to do this because he loves me. And, and Tina's famous saying applies to everything we do. I don't have to. I get to. I get to go to church. He loves me. And therefore, I love him. And I get to go worship him. Not because I have to, not because he'll be mad if I don't, not because lightning will strike me or some bad disease will come. I get to go because he loves me and I love him. Do you guys get the difference? When you change into it's about love and, and, and that the Lord loves us and that, he love, that we love him, it changes why we do everything. So, our, our outward actions, and when you go from, from phase two to phase three, you might continue to do a lot of the things you did before. You, you, you're not going to just say, now that he loves me, I can just live any way I want to. I can sin any way I want to. That's not the point. The point is, now I'm not doing it because I'm afraid what he's going to do. 
Is there anybody here with me? Just, just out of curiosity, is there anybody here? Am I the only person here who remembers living a Christian life? And maybe it was just the way I was raised, the thoughts that were put in my head. Whatever. But is there anybody here that remembers as a Christian being saved, living your life, always afraid you'd do something then God was going to get you? Because that's what I was told. You better watch. Like, I remember the first time I, you know, I shouldn't probably say this in the pulpit, but I remember the first time I decided to be disobedient to God. I really thought lightning was going to strike. I really did. I mean, I'm just looking, you know, I, and I'm thinking, I survived that. I didn't, it didn't happen. Right? But I was taught if you do anything wrong, God's going to get you. So I served him out of fear. And I want to keep all of his commandments because he's going to get me if I don't. Right? And then when I figured out that he loves me, even though I am wretched and rotten and no good, and that he is just a good God, then all of a sudden I just want to love him because he loves me. Right? And it's a total change of everything how you read the Bible. So now I read John 3.16 and I don't say... I see in there uh, just childlike faith. I don't say I see in there that, that I have to do all these things to please it. I see in there that God loves me so much. And, and if we could just take the word out, uh, if you would just read that and take out the word world and put in your name, for God so loved Bessie that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved Terry that he gave his only begotten son. That God so loved John that he gave his only begotten son. When you understand it is personal, and, and, and I, I can't even fathom this, I, I, my brain can't get around it, but I've heard it preached for all of my life. Do you understand that if there was not one other person here on this earth, God would have sent his son to save you? If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. He loves you. Not because you're good, but because he is good. And he will always love you, whether you are good or whether you are not good. When you understand that, it changes everything. And now not from fear, but because you love him, you want to do what he wants you to do, and you get to do what he wants you to do because you love him because he loves you. And it is a game changer. So now as you read the Bible, you're not looking for judgments you can avoid or damnations that won't come upon you, but you're reading the Bible seeing the love of God just flow out at you and now saying, oh God, I love you too, and I want to love back, and I can't love you like you love me, but I want to do anything because I love you. Are you guys following me? Amen. Commandments stop being grievous. We talked about that last week. <clears throat> and lastly, number four, and this is a little bit new. This is a little bit new for me. Maybe a little bit new for you, but stage number four. <clears throat> I, I've said this before, and I don't know how, how you guys thought through this. But there's a lot going on in our church. If you're coming to Sunday school and you're coming to Wednesday night and, and you're taking it in and processing it and, and Sunday mornings and all the things that we're getting around here and, and the, all, all that we're going through and all that we're learning, uh, we're, we're, we're going deeper in the Word of God. And, and here's what you've got to understand. I think this applies to Josh. And I, and I think this applies to all of us preachers. And this applies to the pastor. We are learning with you. In other words, it's not like we arrived and now we're just trying to, to fill you guys in and the stupid people in with us. We're learning it as you guys are learning it. And God's teaching us as he's teaching you. And we're taking it and saying, wow, this is mind-blowing. Now i got to tell them so they will understand it. And that's where we're at. And that's why I'm so excited to be the pastor because I am learning as you are learning. And we're getting to deeper places in the, in the Bible and in our walk with the Lord. And it is exciting seeing so many walk through this, uh, this place. So this is something uh, rather new for me. And it has been totally life-changing. So it's a great thing to have childlike faith. It's a great thing to have that, that, that desire to do anything God wants you to do, and you will do anything God wants you to do. It is a great thing when you come to the place where you just understand God loves you, and you just do it because you love Him, and that's all, that, that's all that there is in your walk with the Lord. But there's another phase of reading the Bible that is really staggering, if I can explain it this morning. Re re the revealed heart of God. <clears throat> understanding thy will be done. All my life I've been taught, and, and this is I think what most Christians believe, I think it's probably what most people here believe, but all my life I've been, it's like this, I've got cancer, and if I pray, it may or may not happen because it may not be God's will. Now we know the right answer is I get healed from cancer. The wrong answer is I don't, but if God doesn't, it's because it's not his will, but it's still not the right answer. 
Okay, that's how we think, right? I've got a, I've got a major need in my life. I, I'm, I'm about to lose my home and everything I have, and I need a check to come in the mail. And I'm going to pray, and I believe God could send that $10,000 in my mailbox and deliver me from my problems. Uh, but if he doesn't, it's not the best thing, but it, it was God's will. Isn't that how we kind of think about things? But can I tell you, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. I'm not even close to what the Bible teaches. So let's look at what the Bible does teach. <clears throat> I don't think I gave this to Josh. I apologize. Uh, sorry about this, Josh. But let me just read this to you. Uh, tremendous verse. It's really a staggering verse. Romans 8.32. <clears throat> it says this. He, pay very close attention. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Think about that. How twisted does the devil have to get our minds that God would send his only begotten son to this earth and then when we pray to him, he'd say, I'm not going to give you something good. I'm not going to give you the best. I'm going to give you something that's not good because that's my will. Listen, that's not what the Bible teaches. Not what the Bible teaches at all. And when we get that out of our mind, everything changes. So I don't, I don't have time to preach this again. I preached this some time back. This has been probably the most life-changing thing in my Christianity for years and years and years and years. And, and I preached it, and I don't know if maybe nobody listened to it but, but, but me, but it has totally changed my life. And I thought, Lord, why did this change my life so much? Why was this the most life-changing thing that's happened in my life for years and years and years? And it dawned on me, it's because what Jesus said. <laughs> when we do what Jesus said, it's amazing. And sometimes we disregard what Jesus said. But one time Jesus was out and he said, uh, uh, the disciples said, teach us how to pray. That was because they had watched what happened when Jesus prayed. And they said, teach us to pray. And so he said, pray like I pray. And then, he, you know, he went into the, the, the Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Earth is and, so, and he went through that whole prayer. And I don't believe that's a, 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 a prayer to repeat out of habit, but I believe it's an understanding of what it says. So I started some time back, and I started every day, usually three, four, five times a day, six times a day. I'll just pray this, and, and, I, and I will kind of put it in my own words, but I want you to grasp this, because if you guys can grasp this, it will change your entire life. But I started going to him and saying, at the beginning of my day, Brother Steve, God, I know you know everything. You can see the things I can't see. You understand the things I don't understand. You understand what's good and what's not good. You understand what lies ahead of me this day. Not only that, God, but you control everything. There's nothing you don't control. You're in control of the entire universe and everything, every demon, every prop. You're in control of everything. Not only that, God, but you love me because you're my father and I'm your son. And God, I know that you will give me what is my best for me. Because you're in control of everything, you see everything, you love me, and you always do good. And Father, today in my life, could your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life. That means that when I go through my day, and, and the worst thing possible happens, you know what I now think? Not, oh, I guess that was God's will. I hate this. You know what I think? This has got to be the best thing that could ever happen to me because my father knows what I don't know. Does anybody see how that changes everything? Now, here's what I know. I've lived long enough. There have been things in my rearview mirror that have happened to me that I've said, oh, God, why did you let that happen? And then I live a little longer, and I realize that's the best thing could have ever happened to me because my father knew what was best. Are there any of you parents here that can, can conceive of your child coming to you, and you know what's best, you, you have the power to do what is best, you can, you can do anything you want, and you love your child, and yet saying, it's my will that you have a really miserable day. Is there any parent here that can think that way? Any of you grandparents could think, if Casey or Callie come up and said, I know it's good for you, and I control all things, but I'm going to design things today, just going to ruin your life. 
Is there any of you grandparents can think that way? Listen, God loves us. He's our heavenly father. He loves us a thousand times more than we love our kids or our grandkids. And he is controlling the universe and he is knowing everything. And he's giving us not some uh, twisted perversion of what he wants, but he's giving us what is best for us. When you understand that, everything changes. Everything changes. Then I say, Lord, would you give me provision today for everything that I need? Everything. Protection, health, food, clothes, spiritual, emotional. Give me everything. Because, Father, I trust you that you know what I need. Guess what? If I didn't get it, apparently I didn't need it. And then, of course, I say, Lord, today help me not to fall into temptation and sin against you. And Lord, by the way, you've forgiven me for so many of my sins. Would you help me to extend mercy to all the other sinners that I go to church with and spend time with? Call themselves Christians, right? Now that has changed my life in a way that I can't even tell you. So I'm not a Calvinist. Does, does anybody know what a Calvinist is? Okay, there's two or three of you in here who knows what a Calvinist is. Okay, I'm not a Calvinist, but this really has changed my mind. If we comprehend the fact that God orchestrates our lives for what is best for us, we can now take the events of our day and say, this is good. I am sick as I can be today. I can't walk. I am so sick. This must be the best thing that could happen to me today. Is anybody following me? Because I may have got in a vehicle, went down the road, and had my legs ripped off in a bad accident. Is anybody following me? I have something horrible. I lose, my, I lose my job, and I think, oh, Lord, how could you let that happen? But I don't understand that if I hadn't have lost my job, something may have been out there that would have, that would have been way worse than losing my job. Do you guys follow me? Whatever happens is what God wants to happen because he loves me, and he controls everything. And when you start understanding that, now you're reading the Bible and you begin to understand that God loves you and that he wants what is good for you and that everything that he does is, is good for us. And so serving him becomes a joy because I do what he wants me to do because I know that he wants what's best for me. And I got this in your notes, and this is a little bit hard to chew on. This is a big piece of meat here. But trials bring joy and peace. I know that's pretty tough. The Bible says it over and over again, but it's still just tough to believe. Here's a thought for you. I've never heard any preacher say this before, but this is just something that kind of come to me. You can keep it or spit it out, but it makes sense to me. So Job was out one day, and Job was perfectly serving God. God said he's a perfect and upright man. He shoes evil. Satan come to him and said, you know, have you considered your servant Job? Or God told him, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil said, take his hedges away, and he'll, he'll bless me. Blah, 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 blah. But you know the part of the story we've never heard before? Never heard any preacher preach this. Has anyone thought that God thought? See, here's how we hear that story preached. Satan wanted to do, destroy the devil. God gave in to him. He relented, and he let, God, he let Satan destroy his life. Satan went through all that suffering because God let it happen. And then at the end... He got double back. Isn't that how we always hear that story? Has anybody ever thought of this? Has anybody ever thought of God saying to Satan, so you want to take my boy and hurt him? That's not going to happen unless that's part of my plan. But if I let you do that, Job will be blessed beyond anything he could ever imagine so I'm going to let you do that because that's good for Job. Does anybody follow me here? Now I want to ask this question. I want to ask this question. Here's something we never think about. Where's Job at today? Where, where's Job at? He's in heaven. Wonder what happened when he met the Lord. Anybody think about that? Job, you did good, boy. Did good, son. You went through something that most of the entire human race will never go through with flying colors, boy. You did good. And by the way, Job, that was my plan. That was my will. That's what I wanted for you. And it was the best thing you could ever have because now that you were in heaven for all of eternity, from now and 
ages and ages and ages to roll on, you will be known as Job that never turned his back on God, worshiped God when everything fell out. And what I'm saying is those, those small years of going through bad things here on earth don't compare to all the rewards that Job will receive all throughout of all eternity and how all down through the centuries people have been hearing the story of Job and getting faith through the story of Job. God said, I'm going to exalt you because you're going through this bad thing. And we think God let something bad happen to him because he let Satan have his way. Is it possible that God was being good to Job, letting him go through that? So is that different than all of you guys? Listen, we're going through a lot of things right now in the church. Is it possible that the bad things that are happening because God's being good to you? Oh, no, what is God? What I'm going through, that guy can't be being good to me. Yeah, he could. He could be being very good to you by letting you go through the bad thing he has. I know you guys are tired of hearing about Renee, but she went through two years of just horrible. But me and her have very clearly, very, very clearly had many hours of talk. That was the best thing that could ever happen to Renee. It was a good thing. Now, going through it wasn't a whole lot of fun, but it was a good thing. Paul, Paul was, Paul, Paul was on the road to Damascus, and, and he got struck down by a light, and, and, and God said, I'm going to call you to go, go serve a thing. And, and, and he said, I, I love you, and, and, I, and I want what's best for you. And, and my plan, he told him before he ever got started, if you go back and read about uh, when Ananias was going through there and, and all that, he, he told him, he says, you're going to go before kings, you're going to be persecuted. And another time they, they came and wrapped the girl around him, he said, you're, you know, you're going you're gonna to face uh, torture and death and everything else. And then he said, the Holy Spirit is with me. Wherever I go, there's going to be pride. And what he, what he was saying is, the plan for my life is that I be beaten and tortured and whipped and run out of churches and stone and shipwreck. That's the plan for my life. Where's Paul at today? What do you think happened when he saw Jesus? Do you think Jesus said, all right, get back here, boy. I can just imagine a reunion, he said. And how many of you think that Paul looked over his shoulder and said, I just don't know if those beatings were worth it. I don't know if that being stoned was worth it. I don't know if getting run out of church and my feelings hurt and people turn their back. I don't know if it was worth it. How many of you know that when he met Jesus, you know what Paul said while he was still here on earth? Those light afflictions that I have. All those light things I go through. Is it possible that God's best for Paul was what he went through? Do you guys see that how when we think that way, everything changes? So now... I'm not doing it because I'm afraid of him. I'm not doing it just because I love him. But now I understand that what he's doing is what is best for me. <clears throat> so just a few illustrations, if you guys understand. So you have the four stages there that you're going through of how you read the Bible. <clears throat> this has really been life-changing for me. So let me just give you a couple of four instances. When I was a kid, and, and you don't hear this said so much anymore, back in, in the 80s and 90s and stuff, this is what we all said. When you were raised in church, we were taught we were supposed to be obedient to God. Is that what we were taught in the 80s and 90s? Okay. And that meant that if he called you to be a missionary, you better do it or lightning will strike. Right? And we all said, okay, God, if you want me to go to be a missionary, I will. But I really don't want to go. Please don't let that be your will. Right? And we just begged and begged. And we all knew that if God called us to be a missionary, it was going to be to Africa in a mud hut. Right? That's what we all knew. That was the only place you could go. Right? And we were going to be beaten and it was going to be tortured and, you know, you know, it was just going to be horrible. And so, God, because I know I'm supposed to, I'll pray that I will do whatever you want me to, but I really don't want to do that and please don't ask me to. But is there anybody that ever fathomed the thought that if God wants me to be a missionary, that's the best life I could ever live? I'm talking about here on earth. You know, God asked me to be the pastor of Sand Hill Church. You know, all of you know my story. I thought, Lord, anything but be the pastor of Sand Hill Church. I'll, do, I'll, I'll go to Africa gladly and live in a mud hut. Please don't make me pastor of Sand Hill Church. Right? That was my thought. Can I tell you now, if someone offered me $3 billion, if I wouldn't be the pastor, I wouldn't even think about it. It's the greatest blessing in my life. Is it possible that the things we think are so bad are God giving us his very best? Is it possible you could go and be a missionary? We've seen the missionaries come through here. A lot of those guys can't wait to get to the field and suffer. They're longing to go, and when they go, they say, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. I get to be a missionary, and I get to suffer for Christ. When they beat the apostles, we're learning in the book of Acts, they beat them and turned them out and tortured them and everything else, they turned them out. You know what the apostles said? Oh, God, thank you that we were able to get, go through those beatings, and please help us to do that again. 
Has anybody followed me this morning? What were they saying? The best plan for my life is what you want. Not because of obedience, not because I have to, but because I realize you know everything and whatever you give me is going to be the best in my life. Right? And if you understand it, it really does change everything. Maybe there's some ministry in a church that God's calling you to do. Maybe there's something he wants you to do you think you can't do or, or you don't want to do. But is it possible... And we've seen this played out in Sand Hill over and over and over again. But is it possible if you would just give in to do what you don't want to do, that it'd be the greatest blessing you could ever possibly have? Is that possible? I'm just saying God knows everything. He controls everything. He loves you beyond anything you can ever imagine. And if we would just say, God, if this is what you want, I know it's best. And I don't understand it right now, but I know this is the best thing. And we could, get, we could go on and on and on. I'm not, I'm not going to belabor the point. But I hope you get the idea. Whatever, God, whatever sin God's asking you to lay down, whatever thing he's asking you to do for him, if we would just recognize, instead of doing it so he will like us, instead of doing it because we love him, if we would understand, this is what is best for my life. The best life I can live is for him. One thing I want to draw to your attention, and I will we'll bring it back to John 3.16. <clears throat> Turn with me to verse... 21. <clears throat> so Jesus came to, to bring us salvation. Jesus, God loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son that, that those who believe in him would have everlasting life. And then he goes on to say that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world and that he came to love the world and those that would believe in him would not be condemned. Those that don't believe, they're condemned already. And goes through all this and he said, men, you know, they, they, they love darkness rather than light and the light came into the world and they ran away from the light, didn't want the light to expose their sinfulness and all, all those things that it says. But we get down to verse 21 and look what it says. How phenomenal is this verse? But he that goeth, or he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that the deeds may be manifest, that his deeds may be manifest. And what does it say, church? That are wrought in God. You know what that's saying? Anything good we do, it's the Father's will working through us to do that work. Takes us completely out of the equation. We're, we're no longer even, we're not even in the equation. It is God's will working through us to do what God wants done. Guys, I don't know if anybody gets this message this morning, but when we understand that, it changes everything. Because now everything God wants in my life, whether it's something He wants me to do, something He doesn't want me to do, some trial or tragedy comes, everything that happens, it's all because that's what my Heavenly Father, who loves me so much, wants for my life. He's given me the very best. We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we may together embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.